0: Hey Siri, remind me to pick up milk on the way home. Hey Siri, remind me about ballet practice at 5 p.m.
1: Hey Siri, remind me to ask mom if I can borrow her car for Friday. Hey Siri, remind me to call the body shop.
0: Hey Siri, remind me to take out the trash tonight. Siri, hey Siri, hey Siri? Siri, hey, Siri, Siri. Hey Siri Siri. Siri? Hey Siri Siri Siri? Hey Siri, Siri Siri, Siri Siri, Siri, Siri Siri Siri, 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 Siri. Siri? Siri?
1: We are in our series uh, named Ephesians. It's a reminder to the busy church. And uh, how many of us in here today are busy? All of us, right? Like in some way, shape or form, we're feeling busy, feeling a little bit tense. And uh, I think there's a, there's a good layer of that that we should be um, active in our lives and, and be moving forward. But then there, there comes a point whenever it gets too busy and we begin to forget about the things that really matter. All right, that's what happens to me. Whenever I get super stressed or or stretched too thin, the things that really matter actually, they, they usually find a back seat somewhere. And I'm all about what I have to do right now. And, um, you know, just last night, I was uh, praying and, and getting ready for today. And, and I just began to pray for my family, for my girls. And I just began to pray for them. And I, I kind of had this moment where. I don't know if this ever happens to you where you sort of zoom out from your life, from your day, and you start realizing that, like, I'm praying for my girls, and one day they're gonna be, you know, 50 years old. They, they're gonna be grown, and obviously, hopefully I'm still around at that point, but I, was just, I had this, this thing where I was just visualizing our whole life, and everything got put into, like, a priority list. Like, things that I felt had mattered, all of a sudden they just didn't matter as much, you know? And, and I think that's what prayer does in our life, but also whenever we are praying about things that matter, the things that don't, again, they, they take a back seat and, and they take their rightful place. And, and anyway, in the study of Ephesians, I believe that the Apostle Paul is really gonna help us with this. He's gonna remind us of the things that matter, uh, where we're not living on autopilot, and we're also not living on autopilot in our faith, in our, what we believe. All right, uh, a lot of times we we get saved, we study the Word of God for a season, and then all of a sudden um it's kind of like people feel like we've arrived, like we've arrived at some place of completion and then we can kind of just take the foot off the, the gas and just sort of, now we're just Christians. And uh, the reality is, is that we've got to continue to study and learn and grow in our faith and in our knowledge of God um, in order to really make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so, so in this, this study through, uh, from August until November, that's whenever we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians. By the way, it, it, it's really no secret we're, we're moving every single week through, so you can read ahead, all right? So like uh, today is verses 11 through 22 of chapter two. Next week, read chapter three, all right? The first half of chapter, chapter three. Uh, there's really no secrets coming, all right? That's it, you, you got it. And so you can kind of start priming the pump. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. If, uh, if I was showing up and just having someone communicate this amount of information, it might be a little bit overwhelming because I haven't really been there. And so I'd really encourage you to do that. It'll help you out. Also, what we're doing is in our sermon-based groups, our small groups, we are continuing the conversation from Sunday mornings into those groups. We've got groups that meet all throughout the week. So, so if you're not one, uh, try to see if there's any open spots online, northwood.church slash small groups, and, and, and try to get in a group to continue these conversations. Uh, take it from the short-term memory into the long-term. You know what I'm talking about? Like keep it, keep it moving. So, so today, uh, we're, the big question is who are we? Every single week, we start off with one big question and then we sort of answer it through the verses. And so, so today the big question is who are we? And the, the quick answer is we're the church. Everybody knows we're the church, and I think over the last you know couple of maybe couple of decades, there's been a, a really big focus in the church to help people understand that we are the church. It's not about going to church, like what we do inside the building, although that is a part of it. But we are the church, and so I hope to bring some clarity to that today. But the church, really, it's ecclesia. It's a word that just means pretty much the gathering together of the believers, and so so we are churching right now okay we're gathering together and it's a great thing so this week we're going to talk about how we are the church how did we become the church and next week we're going to talk about why is the church a big deal Uh, nowadays there's a big I think it's the first time in our country over the last you know again maybe a couple of 20 years or so there's more of a, a big movement to uh de-emphasizing the church. And it's more about this individualism, this individualistic relationship with God. And like, I mean, although there is levels of truth to this, I, I can have my own relationship with God. You're not gonna find in the Bible where it's just that. You're, you're gonna find this, this gathering together of believers, where we support one another, where we're a family, we're a community. And I'm gonna be honest, I personally have not known very many people who have successfully detached themselves from the body of Christ and remained a, a part of the, the church. Just haven't known very many people um, and, and done it successfully long term. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it, we weren't built for it. We were built for a relationship. And so I want to encourage each of you um, about just attending church and attending small groups and being in community with other believers that it matters. And I know that we all have our own individual relationship with God, but, but there is something special about the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the body, right? And, and there's something important about it. So, so before we can answer our main question today of who we are, we need to ask two initial questions, all right? So, so who we are is the, the big overall question. But the first question I want to ask is, who were we? Who were we? before we get to who we are now, who were we? And, and Paul is going to really start opening this up in verse 11. By the way, these verses are primarily written to the Gentiles. All right, there was Jew and Gentile, and we'll get into some more specifics in a second about them. But these this is kind of more geared towards the Gentiles. And so he starts off in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, then he sort of goes on a rabbit trail right here. You're called this uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Basically, at that point, he is beginning to speak about the sign of the covenant between the Jews and God, and God instituted this covenant of the sign of the covenant circumcision. And of course we know circumcision nowadays, but at this time it wasn't just some sort of medical procedure. It was a sign of the covenant between God and man. And the problem is, is that the Jews really made it the like the covenant. They made it the, the thing, the main thing. And uh, it wasn't meant to be the main thing. It was a sign of the main thing, which was the covenant. So Paul, uh, just so you know, he, he's sort of still changing their mentality to what it is. Because basically if you were circumcised, I mean, that's, that's, you had to be circumcised. And if you weren't, you were outside of the fold, okay? And so he's redirecting that mentality. By the way, if you want to know more, we, we covered this in Romans chapter four earlier this year. You can go back and listen. We talked about Abraham and, and, and this, the, the covenant that God made with him. We brought you through Genesis and, and went back to Romans four. And anyway, go look that up. Um, I thought it was a great message. I listened to it the other day and I taught myself, you know, I was like, this is a good message, you know, but, but go back, it, it really... Guys, look, there's certain building blocks of whenever you read the word of God, if you don't have those building blocks, a whole lot of scripture doesn't really make sense because you don't understand where it's coming from. So if you don't understand circumcision and what it meant in the Bible, every time that you read it all throughout the Bible, you're just gonna skip over that and you don't understand what it was accomplishing. So like this right here doesn't mean much to you if you don't have that underpinning of why Paul is saying that, okay? So there's this animosity around it. And so he's basically saying, you know, uh, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, um, and he goes on, he speaks about, about uh, circumcision. Verse 12, remember that you, the Gentiles, were at that time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul just starts out really by encouraging the Gentiles, right, <laughs> you know? He called them aliens, <laughs> You were alien. you were excluded. And a lot of people don't like these terms. Um, whenever we talk about the gospel, there's two ways of looking at it. One, one is that the gospel is, is inclusive for everyone. And you know what? That is absolutely true. It absolutely is. That's the beauty of what, what God did through Jesus. But there also is an exclusive exclusivity about it as well, which is Jesus is the only way, you know what I'm saying? So there's this It depends how you look at it. And some people don't like to talk about it that way. They don't like to say, Paul straight up. He's like, you were alienated from God. You were like outside. I mean, you were hopeless. You know, one of the greatest diseases is hopelessness. And Paul's like, that's exactly who you were. You were godless. You had no concept of God you were just being driven by your own desires. Remember that, Gentiles. You were outside, and he's bringing attention to them. And I, I want to bring attention to you guys today in the room. Come on, Northwood. You were alienated, excluded, hopeless, Godless. You got nothing. All right? You feeling encouraged? Yeah. You feeling encouraged? All right? You know they, <laughs> All right. And but it's true, because if we don't realize this then the next part won't matter as much. It's sort of whenever we talked about evangelism a few months ago, we talked about, man, if we don't really truly understand the plight, the situation that we're in, and, and, and the, the, the nature of mankind and the fact that we are broken in sin and we need to be redeemed, if we don't understand that, then we won't feel the need as believers to go and tell people about this new life, about Christ, because there's no urgency in it. And then we'll think that we need to wait till somebody actually looks hopeless and looks godless and looks broken, like their marriage falls apart or they go bankrupt. And then we're like, now they're ready to receive Jesus. No, 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 no. When they were born, they were ready to receive Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, From day one, man, we need God. And so Paul is, again, man, let's think about this. You know, we got to remember where we come from. Whenever we remember where we come from, we, it produces gratitude in our hearts, Come on, all of you who are believers, man, you think back to before you knew Jesus, before you had that moment of clarity where you begin to read the word of God and it came alive to you. You think about your life before that and it's like, what did, how was I living my, what was I thinking about? I was talking to somebody just last week, had coffee with him and he was like, I had no, I wasn't raised in church, had no concept of God. Literally, I just, I said, did you ever think about where you came from? Like literally, like molecularly? And he's like, I honestly didn't even think about that that much. I was just like, there's science out there, figuring it out, cool, whatever. There was no awareness. And then actually what happened is he uh, he he read, he started reading in James uh, through a, a buddy of his and said, man, why do you go, you know read this and, and and he said, as he began to read it, it came alive to him, and it completely renovated his thought process, his life, and it changed his whole trajectory for his life and his family and uh, that's what God does, but but we have to remember where we come from people that move to America from other countries, migrants right like they, they come and whenever you talk to them, there's such a gratitude for this nation. You know, the people that are the most angry at our nation in America and the ones who, who take it for granted and, and are pick. you know, blah, blah, blah. It's those who were born and raised here. It's those people. People that came from another place where if you gathered like this, guys, look, I just heard about a pastor that got shot in the pulpit in Mexico. I mean, like, like we don't, we don't have a, concept. We don't understand it, but there's people who live in that type of environment and they get to a place where there's freedom, there's liberty there. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, man, this is a wonderful nation. Yeah, it's got issues, but it's a wonderful nation, but there's gratitude in their heart. Paul's saying, hey, you are a citizen in the kingdom of the world. Like that's where your citizenship lied. And now you've been raised to new life. You are in a new kingdom. You're in the kingdom of God. And uh, man, you got to remember though where you come from. And so, If we can't appreciate verses 11 and 12, we won't appreciate verses 13 and and, and on, on forward from here. Number one, who were we? Number two, the next question is, okay, so now that we know who we were, what did Christ do? I think a lot of times we skip this. It's like, who was I? And then what did I do? It's like, actually, you did nothing. What did what did Jesus do? What did he accomplish? And that's exactly where Paul goes, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you, the Gentiles, he's speaking to them, you who were once far off, far from the covenant, far off from God, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the cross. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both Jew and Gentile. He's speaking to both of the the people. He says, he's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing or annulling or fulfilling the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, in place of these Jews and Gentiles, which, by the way, Gentile just basically means non-Jewish person, you know, non, non-believer or non-person that uh, believes in Christ but not a, a Jew. So he's speaking to these people, so making peace, by the way, I, I said that because most of us in this room are Gentiles. Some of us are like, hey, am I a Jew or a Gentile? <laughs> you're a Gentile. Unless you're a Jew. I don't know everyone here, right? <laughs> so making peace bringing them together and and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were once far off and peace to those who were near, both Jews and Gentiles. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So Paul is just really reiterating the same thing over and over in different ways, even through other uh, books in the Bible. He speaks a lot about this reconciliation in two aspects, this peace and reconciliation between man man to man and then man to God. All right, so, so if we start with the first one, how did Jesus reconcile men together? Well, he's leaning into this example of Jew and Gentile. And there was a great hostility between these two different groups of people. And we've talked a lot about Jews and Gentiles and the difference, but basically the Jews were the people of God. They were raised up in the ordinance of God, the promises of God. And then you had the Gentiles, which is just like everybody else who weren't, they weren't raised in the same way. So they're coming at, I mean, generationally, they're coming at their worldview from completely different standpoints. And it creates a lot of animosity lot of animosity. I'm talking high levels of discrimination and hostility. And, and so Paul's coming into this situation and he's beginning to try to show them how they're one in Christ. And I, I want to give you some visuals today of, of what this looked like. So first one is just go ahead and put up that picture of the temple. So this is Herod's temple, all right? It's, it's, it's built, and what you see in the middle is you see how it's built. You got the, the temples on the inside, but then you have this area on the outside called the court of Gentiles. And so going into the temple, if you were a Gentile, you could not go into the temple. You could not go. That was reserved for the Jewish people. And I mean, there was a, a large separation the mentality of the people it was it was a great divide between these two people, and the Jewish people had become very, very uh, entitled to certain things. and I'm not trying to paint them in a negative light. it was they, they they were accustomed to this. this was I mean, they had the promises of God that were written to them, and so there was this separation. But Paul has a large uh, uh, a barrier standing in front of him because, not only is it a mentality in people's minds, but literally, this is their church, <laughs> ultimately. Like, this is kind of what it looks like. It's like you had this separation. In the court of Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles, that's where they sold animals for sacrifice. There was people that were exchanging money, different currencies, and you had all this stuff going on, and, and it was, sort of became big business at the time. And, and this is actually, this is where Jesus went, and this is where he flipped over the tables. And he got upset. Y'all remember, we love that story because it almost feels, it gives us like, well, you know, Jesus got mad and flipped tables one time. So I'm gonna, I just gotta be like Jesus and flip some tables, you know? And it might've been a different motivation there, but, but he goes in and he experiences this, this wrong way of, of interacting with this place. So if you kind of go back and you study the temple, you'll, you'll see in the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle, and it was built into the temple, and then uh, it was destroyed, and a lot of different things happened, and and then Jesus comes on the scene, and he is the temple, right? And he goes into this place, and so there's this understanding that God has always wanted to dwell among his people, and you'll see that. That's why God even brought the Israelites out of Egypt, was to worship him. And, And so you see this pattern of God just wanting to be among his people, but then the people always tended to mess it up, right? They just always just mess mess everything up. And so so here it is again. Jesus walks in, comes in and sees all this. He starts flipping tables. And this is what he says in Mark 11. He was teaching them and and he said to them, it's not, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He's quoting Old Testament scriptures and he's bringing to light. And it says people were astonished by this, by his teaching and the authority that he had. But he was protecting this, but there was this, this area on the outside that's sort of what's happening. Now let's fast forward to Paul's day. Paul comes on the scene. And now we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago with, with uh, whenever we started Ephesians, but Paul goes to Ephesus and he begins to preach the gospel in such a way that it literally turns the economy upside down. People that were selling false idols, uh, you know, People stop buying them, and so there's a riot that's formed, and all this craziness starts taking place. And so people don't like Paul very much in Ephesus anymore. And uh, so what goes on is Paul is in the city, and he's he's rolling around town with this guy named Trophimus, and uh, who's he's named all throughout the Old Testament and Paul's writings. and, And so Paul's hanging out with this guy, but he's a Greek. Now again, maybe put that picture back up of the temple. It's, you gotta gotta picture this the whole time because this is so important that Paul is rolling around. He goes to the temple and it says this in in Acts. Let's go ahead and read the scripture in in the book of Acts. It says, uh, it says, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. That doesn't mean that they prayed for him, by the way. All right, crying out. Men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Do y'all feel the animosity with this? They actually grabbed Paul and they beat him just for bringing a Greek supposedly into the temple. This level of of discrimination was deeply rooted in these people, generationally. Jesus came to break all of those labels down. He came to remove all of that. And Paul is pressing this issue because he knows it's true. He actually suffers physical pain in order to communicate it. And here he is in Ephesians communicating the same thing. What Paul is talking about whenever he writes verses uh, 13 on, those words were not lightly spoken. Everybody knew the story. Everybody knew what Paul had suffered and he's still preaching the same message. He's like, guys, look, I'm telling you, because of what Jesus has done, we are one in Christ there is no Jew, Greek, male, female. There's no rich, there's no poor. We are all together. And that same thing is still prevalent nowadays. The same level of discrimination. Let me, let me show you what this sign, there's a sign that was found in Herod's temple. You go ahead and put that picture up. And it's inscribed on this, separating the court of the Gentiles from the, from the, the temple. It says, no man of another nation to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. You're not a Jew. You don't step past this line. If you're from another nation and you walk through this, past this line right here, it's your fault that you're gonna get stoned. It's your fault that you're gonna get beat. That's on you, man. That level, y'all, I mean, it, this is high levels of hatred, enmity, hostility, And I paint that picture to then kind of bring you to today. The church is supposed to be a place where labels don't matter. Like this is supposed to be a room that like who you are outside of the room in regards to your class, in regards to your race, anything literally does not matter at all. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who retain this this discriminatory um, hatred for people, this this classism, they, they drag it into the church and it destroys the very fiber of what Jesus came to fix. That's why in this church for generations now, we have been so vocal against racist thinking inside of the church blacks and whites and, and rich and poor and this whole clique type of feel. It is disgusting. It's not of the spirit of God. It's not, it's one of the things that Jesus came to fix. And it is so disheartening to see some churches, I'm not indicting anyone, it happens all over the place, unfortunately, for, for erecting these barriers that Jesus tore down. I heard a story a couple years ago it literally happened a couple of years ago. It blew my mind because, guys, look, I, I grew up in this church. <laughs> I grew up with this type of mentality of like, who cares? Right, like, what does it matter? And I heard a story of a church in, uh, up in North Mississippi. And, and uh, it's it was, it was an older church and, and it's predominantly white. And somebody that was black walked in and, and uh, was, was told, basically, you might need to go find another place. And my brain was like, it just went on, like tilt. Like it didn't, it didn't connect. I'm like, wait. So there's a lot of people that are like, oh, all that type of thinking is dead. Are you kidding me? We have got to fight to maintain unity in every area, even with things that we feel has been done away with. It's not been done away with. The enemy re-engineers it, re-delivers it, and people bite, bite on it. Let me tell you something the level of, of political bias and and, and in the church, and, and the church is being ripped apart by blue and red. I'm telling you guys, we're, we're ramping up for political season, right? We're ramping up for it. I mean, I, I can literally hear people like, you know, putting ammo, like Rambo across their things, just, you know, putting their sidearms, make sure they got their daggers in their sleeves. Like, they're just ready for it. <laughs> you know, you just feel it. And I just, I can't help but ask, why? Like, what's, what's the end goal of that? Of that, it's in, the, it's in Christianity. I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about us. What is that, that level of hostility in people that elevates their citizenship of America a, a, above their citizenship in Christ? What is that? Y'all, it's just the enemy. It's called sin. It's called selfishness. We're not called to to hold up those banners in that way. We're called to make disciples. Like that's why we're here. And do I have my own opinions? Absolutely. I'm not saying we don't have opinions. I'm not saying that we aren't, you know, we don't know what we're doing, who we're voting for and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying like, keep it, take it all in stride. I heard about missionaries recently serving on the mission field and they got in a big political debate and it caused those two, those two groups of missionaries not to be able to minister to, to in unity, they could not minister to the people that they want to serve. And I was like, I mean, this is what Paul is saying specifically. So I want to challenge us to be a church it's not ignorant, it's not not detached from what's going on in the culture, I'm not saying that, but a church that, that has all this in mind, where whenever you feel or you hear someone in this community, if ever, say anything that is discriminatory or, or racist, right? You know what I'm talking about, that hint, that you would in love just say, hey, that's not how we are here, that's not how we are. Doesn't matter, none of that matters. I love that in this church, we got people that make a bunch of money and people that don't make a bunch of money. We got people from all different backgrounds, and we are even even religious backgrounds, lots of different religions. And we come here together, and I think what Paul is saying, just it really, really applies to us. We're in Christ. Galatians three twenty there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is it. Y'all believe that? Yes. Come on, come on. This is how people are brought together through what Jesus did. Jesus also brought peace and reconciliation between God and man. And he did this on the cross as well. He reconciled us back to God. He took the penalty of sin on himself and satisfied the holy wrath of God. God is good and loving, but God is just. And Jesus who knew no sin took sin upon himself. What did that moment feel like for him? Jesus, who never had sinned, didn't experience any separation from the Father, in that moment, takes all of the weight, all of the abuse, all of the neglect, all of the rejection, all of the sin upon himself. And then he died. He did this on the cross for us. The cross is central to what we believe, y'all. Central. All of the things that we love about God are made possible through the cross. I think it's why there's such a movement in the world. There always has been, but I feel like it's, it's kind of finding its way into the church more and more and more that is actually bringing down the value of the atoning work of Christ and bringing down who Jesus was and is, bringing it down to a place that almost brings it in, in line with what well, just really demeans what he did, demeans the work of the cross. When you demean the work of the cross, you demean Christianity, you demean the, you demean the gospel, you remove the very pillars of, of what we're doing. Let me tell you something, guys, if, if, if you remove the cross, if you remove the atoning work of Jesus, his blood that was shed for us, if you remove all of these things or downplay them, what do you have left? You've got nothing. You got some weird group of people that show up on Sundays and listen to somebody talk about something to, I don't know. We're gonna talk more about that in a second, what all of this is built on, but it's to all the things we love about God are made possible through the cross. And because of the cross, we have access to God. I wanna encourage you with this. I wanna encourage all of you to continue, for some of you to continue to do this, and for some of you to, for the very first time, view your life through the lens of the cross and through the gospel. What I mean by that is, for instance, if you feel like you are always fighting shame and fear and condemnation, okay, and you believe in Jesus, but you're always, like, like your, your life is always being hit back with, with what you did back in the day or, or, or whatever, I want to challenge you to realize that you're not viewing yourself as God views you. You're not viewing your life through the lens of the cross. Because whenever you, you, you walk through salvation and, and, and you go through this filter, all of that baggage, it stops right there. Like, again, it's no longer who you were before Jesus, it's who you are now in Christ. And even for those of you who have been following God for a long time, because everybody celebrates whenever somebody comes to faith in Jesus and they repent of their sins, but then it's like all of a sudden at that point, a lot of people expect perfection. And then it's like, you don't feel the freedom to, again, continually live a life of repentance, right? Right? The righteous man gets back up. And so all of a sudden, then the enemy can play this other card of condemnation after we believe in Jesus that basically says, now there's perfection. And that's also not the gospel. Where sin is grace abounds and covers. Do we use that as a license to do whatever we want? Absolutely not. That's abusing God's grace. But when we do sin, we have an advocate with the father. This is hope, y'all. This is the gospel, and this is what we have to continue to live in and lean into and communicate to others. And, and Paul is doing that because it matters. So if you've been dealing with pain and, and, and fear and shame and all of this, I just want to challenge you in that. Don't let the enemy continue to beat you down. He tries to define you by your past and remind you of all the things that you've done, where you come from, your family situation and all that. Let me tell you something, whenever God convicts you, there's always peace and hope. It's a little bit of of tension inside, but let me tell you something, there's hope attached to it. So if you're experiencing what you think is conviction, but it just beats you down, that's not conviction. That's not what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. He might make us unsettled in areas, but it's to push, push us forward closer to him. So we talked about who we were, what Christ has done, how he's reconciled and made a way through himself to reconcile us one to another and to God. So now we can answer the question, who are we? Verse 19, so then you, you Gentiles, who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple, By the way, temple means a dwelling place, a dwelling place in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. These are some wonderful uh, statements and, and I love what Paul does here. He actually sort of undoes what he said in verse 11. He sort of restates it and in, 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 now that we are in Christ, what it looks like. And he says this, because of what Christ did on the cross, we are citizens of God's kingdom, members of God's family and stones in God's temple. Come on, y'all say, I'm a stone. stone. All right, I'm not stoned, but I am a stone, okay? All right, hopefully, hey, I don't know all of you. Maybe, maybe you had a rough morning, I'm not sure, but, but we are stones in God's temple. Some of y'all didn't like that joke. (laughs) You're like, you know, loosen up a little bit, man. Because of what Jesus has done, we're citizens of God's kingdom, members of God's family, and we're stones in God's temple. And he he uses this illustration of this, this cornerstone, which is something that we've talked about. Guys, we even have a song called Cornerstone and we sing it, but I wonder how many of us actually visualize what this means, and we actually understand it. So I brought a picture for us to help us understand it. you it was good? All right, good. Come on, let's put that up. This is a picture of of really what a cornerstone looks like, but also what it accomplishes, you know? So whenever you're building a structure, we don't really do this too much nowadays, uh, but they would start off with this giant stone. They would set it in the corner, and, and then from that, they would... You know, measure and set all the other stones based upon that, that, that one stone. And, and it produced a, um, a stability, right? You always, it was the plumb line of that building. And Paul says that the church, we are living stones that are, are set upon the, point, the cornerstone of Jesus. The church, who we are. We cannot detach ourselves from Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no Ecclesia of the saints. Okay, there, there is, we have nothing. At that point, we're a club, right? And he's, he's communicating this. He's like, you're a citizen in God's kingdom, you're members of his family, but it's because of what Jesus has done. You can't separate yourself from that. And I think it's so important for us to remind ourselves of that. Number one, as a church, that we would remember that what we're doing and who we are is because of what Jesus has done and that we would operate out of that. Like whenever we experience bitterness or resentment or it begins to kind of work its way back into the church that we would choose to be like Jesus, that we would choose forgiveness, that we would choose unity, right? But then individually, is your life truly built upon Christ? I picture all of these, these stones, all these bricks, That's all the things that we have going on in our life as well, individually, right? You You got your job, you got your marriage, you got your kids, you got your future, you got your belief systems, you've got all of this stuff that's built up. And I think some people, they might start this journey in Christ and it's based upon Jesus. But one thing I know is that we begin to stack bricks and it begins to cover up the cornerstone it begins to distract us from what really matters. And that becomes a real issue. And and I think it's a real issue in the American church. I really do. I think that in our pursuit of, I don't know, success in many different ways, uh, of of always wanting to push things forward, of defining things since we were born, a certain trajectory set that, that we've placed these goals and we've built up these bricks even in the church. And sometimes it gets far, far, far away from the cornerstone or it completely covers it up. And then at that point, I just, I can't help but get away from the thought of then, then like, what are we building on? Who are we building for? Individually, some of you, you got saved, man. I mean, you got, you got saved. God changed you, transformed your thinking and it was good and your life was based upon that cornerstone and over the years, you've to stack bricks, begin to stack your life in a certain direction and if you've lost your bearing. It's not in Christ anymore. It's in your career, it's in your accomplishments, I don't know, whatever shoe fits, wear it for you what happens is whenever that starts taking place, we lose the urgency for what we're involved in. Like how many of you yesterday truly thought and felt and prayed for someone because you fear that they are on their way to being eternally separated from God? Like, at what point yesterday did you feel broken about the brokenness of our society? Like, was there a moment? Was there this, was there there, 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 any sort of reflection or meditation upon that? Or was it like, wake up, breakfast, gotta go out, gotta do this. Before you know it, it's bedtime, bam, bedtime. You know what I'm talking about? All the while, completely unaware that we're in a spiritual battle that people are around us are dying and going to hell every day. And we're comfortable. That's not how Jesus lived his life. That's not what he died for. And and y'all, I'm preaching just as much to myself as you right now. We have to wake up. We We have to wake up. Either this is real, this is eternal, or this is weird. Why are we here? And guys, look, it's not my job to reach your friends. It's not my job to reach your family. It's your responsibility. We are living stones, and we construct off of the cornerstone of Jesus, we construct a temple, a dwelling place for God to reside. Corporately, individually, it's what we're called to. Do y'all believe that? Let me pray for you. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I wanna wanna give us a moment here to reflect upon this because I think what Paul is saying is both full of hope and full of joy, but also full of gravity. So God, would you search our hearts right now God, we, we are here today to meet with you and to encounter you. And God, we, we desire to, to worship you in spirit and in truth. But God, we also desire to be changed, to be more like you. And God, it, it, the way that we think about your kingdom is so important. And, and Lord, it's so hard for us sometimes we get distracted with the kingdom of this world. We're in it, we're around it, we're conditioned. But God, whenever we read your word like this, God, it it just changes something in our minds and in our hearts. And God, I'm asking that right now for all of us that you would search us. And if we are living this life distracted, if we're living this life in a way that is not based upon Jesus as the cornerstone, God, I'm I'm praying that you make it very clear to all of us right now. Our motivations our thoughts, God, bring them to the surface. And Father, all the things right now that we're thinking about, and we realize that we've been off in, Father, we repent, we change our thinking. We, we ask you to help us to, to be healed from that type of thinking and to repent and turn. We open up our hearts to you. God, we know that we have not arrived. For others of you in this place right now, I think that there's some that are far from God. You, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's not a real vibrant part of your life. Uh, you're at church right now because it's church and this is Sunday morning. But I believe that for those of you who feel like you might be far from God, or, or maybe there's some of you who you were, you really were, you were right with God. You, man, you were hearing his voice and there was just this joy and this peace in your life. And over time, you just kind of drifted. I'm speaking to you as well. God is calling you back. God created you in his image, not just physically, emotionally, but spiritually. He wants to bring you back to life. He wants to breathe his life into you. You can hear his voice, know his ways, that you could actually find your hope and your peace and your joy in him, not in your circumstances you're getting tossed to and fro day to day by whatever happens whoever says something that that's what dictates how you feel about life and and god wants to elevate that he wants to breathe real true life into your heart it's very easy jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sin your sin nature you were born with he paid the price for it it's already been done he was raised a new life for you to experience new life All you have to do is just surrender your heart to him. I'm gonna pray with you right now. If you're far from God, you've drifted away from him, we're gonna pray together. And I want you just to to lean into God. You can pray what I pray, you can pray your own prayer, but let's pray together. Say something like this. God, I surrender all that I am before you. God, my successes, my failures, the thing that I want everybody to know about. And God, the things that I want nobody to know about. Lord, I put it all at your feet. And I ask you to, to forgive me of my sin. I repent right now and I align myself with who you are. God, I thank you for sending your son to this earth to die for me, to be raised to do life, to suffer for me. And today, Jesus, I pray that you would cover me, clothe me with your right standing, your righteousness. I thank you for your faithfulness to me. God, that even whenever I was far from you, you sent Jesus to die for me for this moment right here. I wanna pray for those of you who, who just gave your heart to God. God, I pray that you empower them by your spirit, that you fill them up with faith, God, that they would live their life every day for your glory, for your honor, for your fame. I thank you for the people's lives and the families that were changed today in this room. God, we thank you for your word that continues to convict us, that continues to realign us. And God, I pray that as we leave this place today, that we would go out in power and boldness and in confidence. represent you well in jesus name come on if you believe it say amen 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 amen. thank you
0: yeah thank you pastor jordan hey what's up guys my name is tom i'm one of the uh, staff members here at northwood and you know, for those of you who don't know uh, me and my family, we're, we're not from here originally. Um, we, we grew up at, up in Ohio and uh, spent some time in the Air Force, moved us around, ended up here. And it's kind of, a, if you've never been in the situation of being in a new place and you don't have family and stuff, it's like, man, it's, it feels kind of lonely sometimes. But, you know, we've been here for a little over five years now, and, and we've we've found our Mississippi family, and it's and it's right here. And uh, uh, so I, I love one of the things that we've kind of coined, a little phrase that we've coined here at Northwest is, we uh, look at someone right next to you and just say, we fam. We fam. Like seriously, we we're family in this room, and I and I love it. Um, and, and here's why I say these things. Um, Paul referred to uh, three realities that we're now in. We're citizens, uh, we're members of a new family, and that we're stones in a living temple. And I, I love that that imagery. And for some of you in this room, you know, you're you're, you're maybe new here, um, uh, maybe uh, you've been kind of kicking the tires, you're new uh, to this area or whatever, um, here's, here's our heart is that, hey, if you can find a family here at Northwood, we would love to be your church family. Um, if it's not here, our heart is that you find a church family. Here's the thing, um, I've been married, I've been uh, saved for almost 20 years now, and my Uh, the the ebbs and flows of my uh, Christian walk has always been directly correlated to um, how much I'm pressing into the family of Christ. And so I just wanna encourage you, find a church family, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else, and press into that family. For some of you today, today was uh, your first time where you entered into a new family. You just decided to start following Jesus. Come on, let's give it up one more time for those people who decided that.